Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. My name is Nikki Young, and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Welcome to the first Serial Nightmare episode of 2023. If you're a new listener, let me catch you up. Serial Nightmare is a Halloween series that I do every year for the month of October. Everything that I release this month will either be Halloween-related or more on the spooky side, but of course, always true crime-related. October is typically the month where I collect all of the serotonin that I'll need to get me through the rest of the year, so I hope to be able to share some of that with you too. Tonight we're going to kick things off with the story of the Glatzel family, whose youngest son, 11-year-old David, was allegedly possessed by multiple demons. With the assistance of infamous paranormal investigators and demonologists Lorraine and Ed Warren, he would endure several exorcisms to try to relieve him of the spirits and demons that were fighting over his soul. It was during one of these exorcisms that it is alleged the demons left David, freeing him from their grip, however finding a new host in 18-year-old Arnie Johnson. According to those closest to him, Arnie's behavior completely changed, as he would often experience fits of rage leading up to the days when he would go as far as to murder a man. Arnie would plead not guilty by reason of demonic possession, the first time this defense was ever used in the U.S. But would the courts believe his claims? Was Arnie Johnson really possessed by demons, or was he simply a violent killer? Let's jump right in. We're going to start with the Glatzel family, where this claim of demonic possession began. In 1980, the family moved into a new rental property located at 3 Oak Grove Road in Brookfield, Connecticut. Prior to actually moving all of their furniture in, they visited the home to clean it up and make a few minor repairs before they fully moved in. The youngest son of the family was 11-year-old David. As many little boys his age do, he ran up and down the halls of the house, exploring the rooms of his new home. However, shortly after arriving at this home, David would claim to have experienced something that absolutely terrified him. In one of the back rooms, David claimed to have encountered the angry spirit of an old man who did not want them to move into that house. He alleged that the spirit of this man had pushed him and warned him that if their family moved in, bad things would happen to all of them. 
When he ran over to his parents to express what he had just seen, they initially brushed it off. They thought that his imagination must have gotten the best of him, or maybe he was just making up a lie to get out of helping the rest of the family clean the home. Either way, their son's claims did not stop them from moving in. Once the Gletzels moved into the rental, things got progressively worse. David continued to report seeing the spirit of this old man and claimed that he wanted to steal his soul. David's behavior also changed. He would experience horrifying night terrors, dreaming of someone he called the Beast Man, who had horns and hooves, much like what you would envision when you think of Satan. David's physical health also began to decline. He would suffer from seizures and then have random bruises and scratches appear all over his body. He also stopped speaking in English, and instead he would just grunt and growl and communicate by quoting the Bible. It wasn't long after moving into this rental property that David's parents began to make the connection between what was happening to their child and his claims of being possessed. While no one else in the family had physically seen the spirit of this old, angry man, they did hear really strange noises coming from the attic. When combined with David's behavior, they really began to believe that their son might be possessed. As time passed, David's condition worsened. He became physically violent towards both his mother and father, but in particular, he targeted his mother, even breaking her nose at one point. At 11 years old, he was also unusually strong. When he was having one of his fits of rage, it would take several adults to try to hold him down. And David still wasn't sleeping through the night. Like clockwork, he would wake up around 11 p.m. screaming and spewing profanities. Things got so bad that 18-year-old Arnie Johnson decided that he would move in to try to help with David's fits. Arnie was the boyfriend of David's elder sister, Debbie. Arnie was described as an all-American boy who loved baseball and fishing. He also really loved his girlfriend, Debbie, and her whole family, including David. He was closer to them than he was his own family, so he wanted to do whatever he could to help them through this difficult situation. Despite working all day as a landscaper, he would come home to the Glatzel residence, eat dinner, and then stay up all night helping with David, trying to calm him down when he would wake up in these night terrors. Even with Arnie's help, it wasn't enough to control the outrageous and bizarre behavior of David. The family sought out every Catholic priest in their area, begging them to perform an exorcism on their son, but all declined. They didn't want to get involved, particularly because they were dealing with a child. This is when the infamous Lorraine and Ed Warren became involved. According to the Warrens, they were contacted by a pastor who spoke about a young boy whom they had been trying to help. This pastor claimed that he believed it was a case of possession. He was weary of becoming involved himself in this particular case with a child so young, but he asked if they could look into it further and offer their assistance. After hearing about David's bizarre behavior, they agreed. The first night the Warrens arrived at the Glatzel home, 
They described it as an unusually hot and eerie evening. The Glatzel family welcomed them into their lives, believing that this could be their last hope. Lorraine would later talk about her experience sitting across from 11-year-old David while at the dining room table as he sat there drawing. When he stopped and he looked up at her, she claimed that he was not the same child. There was something different and even evil in his eyes. After meeting the family and watching David's behavior, the Warrens took the Glatzel's concerns very seriously. Lorraine would say that there was a mountain of evidence that the little boy was in fact possessed. Ed would clarify that he believed David was possessed by more than 40 different demons. The Warrens had some kind of pull or authority in the Catholic Church community because somehow, despite the fact that priest after priest had refused to work with the Glatzels, they were able to convince one of the churches that this possession was real and an exorcism was necessary to save David. There would be in total six priests involved in David's exorcism, including three that were directly from the Vatican, and multiple exorcisms would be performed in order to finally free him from his demons. Now, I have an audio clip from one of these exorcisms that I'm going to play for you now, but if you're religious, superstitious, or just worried about the possible ramifications in your own life from listening to this kind of audio, please feel free to skip ahead around 30 seconds or so. It is difficult to listen to. Get out of my son. Get out of my son. Come on. Come on, son. Come on. Get up. Get away from my son. No! I'm your mother. in these rituals. It was an all-hands-on-deck type situation to try to save this little boy, and as I mentioned, they required multiple adults to try to physically hold David down while the ritual was performed. Debbie's boyfriend, Arnie Johnson, he was also in attendance. He absolutely adored David, and he would do anything to help him, including provoking whatever demonic presence was inside of him. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. 
But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages, So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right, 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Despite Ed and Lorraine both warning him not to, Ernie would pray for the demon to leave David alone and take him instead. At one point during an exorcism, he yelled, quote, Take me on. Leave my little buddy alone. He was challenging the demons. And during the final exorcism, it is alleged that the demons took him up on this challenge. They were very frightened of the things that Arnie would say. He was such a compassionate young man, such a low-key person. Never once did I see him show any type of violent behavior. He was a perfect gentleman. Mr. and Mrs. Warren, this, everything. Just a beautiful person. Tremendous respect for the priest. If you were going to have a son, he'd be the boy you'd want. Yeah, that's the kind of a boy he was, Tony. Mm -hmm. But he made that fatal mistake. And, challenging. Challenging the devils. And I know that one of the Catholic priests even met with him to talk with him because he was so concerned about his welfare. Mm-hmm. And because, like you say, he challenged it, Tony. And remember that when you challenge the demonic, it doesn't act at that particular given time, Tony, Mm -hmm. it waits until you are the most vulnerable, Mm -hmm. and then it strikes. The final exorcism appeared to have worked, meaning whatever was possessing David appeared to no longer be there. His behavior began to change back to the little boy that he used to be, and his overall health improved. The night terrors ended, and he stopped talking about the ghost of that old man or the beast man that he saw in his dreams. He would visit with a psychiatrist, and it was said that he had a slight learning disability, but other than that, he was completely fine. Now that they were no longer needed to help with David, Debbie and Arnie got engaged, and they decided to move out into their own place. At that point, there was no indication of the tragic events to come. While David had greatly improved since the exorcism, Arnie began to quickly deteriorate. He claimed that one day, while he was driving, just a few days after David's exorcism,
the demon took over Arnie's body and forced his vehicle to drive into a tree. Thankfully, Arnie wasn't badly hurt in the car crash, but he was completely distraught over the incident. Shortly after the accident, Arnie claimed that he was called back to the rental property by some unseen force, which guided him to an old well on the property. Arnie would say that it was here he would come face to face with the demon. His final encounter with this evil force while he was still lucid, before the demon took total possession of him. These kinds of trance-like states where Arnie wasn't in control of himself, they would become more frequent. His fiancée, Debbie, would say that he would go into a trance and then he would begin to growl. He would talk about seeing a beast man, similar to what David had described. The trance would last only moments, and then when Arnie came to, he had no memory of what had just happened. The couple just kind of hoped that it would go away on its own. Now the date was February 16, 1981. Debbie was going to be working that day at her job as a dog groomer. It worked out really well because it was her landlord's business and it was super close to their home. Arnie was also supposed to be working that day, but he called in sick so that he could spend the afternoon with Debbie at the dog kennel. For whatever reason, there would be several other family members joining Debbie that day at the kennel, including her nine-year-old little cousin, Mary. Debbie's boss, landlord, and the owner of the dog kennel and dog grooming business was a 40-year-old man named Alan Bono. Alan lived in an apartment just above his dog business. The group, including Alan, Arnie, Debbie, and the rest of her accompanying guests, decided to go out for lunch. While at the restaurant, Alan ordered a bunch of alcohol to the table and drank it, and he became inebriated. Once they finished eating and returned to the dog groomers, Alan started acting really belligerent and kind of inappropriate towards Debbie's little cousin, Mary. This story is, of course, according to Debbie and Arnie. They decided it was probably time to go home, but when they tried to leave, allegedly Alan grabbed Mary and he refused to let her go. Arnie's demeanor immediately changed. He began growling at Alan. Then he charged towards him and stabbed him five times in the chest with his pocket knife. Alan would die from his injuries just a few hours later. Immediately after stabbing Alan, Arnie walked off down the road in a complete daze. When he was finally arrested, roughly two miles away from the scene of the murder, he claimed he didn't remember any of the events from that day. He was arrested and then charged with Alan's murder, despite the fact that he had no memory of what had happened. Almost immediately, Ed and Lorraine Warren stepped forward, claiming that Arnie Johnson had only committed murder because he was possessed by the devil. As you can imagine, this story quickly became a media sensation. America in the 80s was overwhelmed with satanic panic. People were terrified that everyone that they encountered, their friends, their neighbors, the grocery store manager, they were all involved in satanic worship. So when people heard that this seemingly nice, honest, hardworking young man had killed someone because he was possessed by demons, People freaked out, believing it all to be true. Arnie's murder trial began in October of 1981. He entered a plea of not guilty. 
His defense? Demonic possession. This was actually the first time in American criminal history that a suspect attempted to use possession as a defense. Ernie's fiance, Debbie, who had been present during both the exorcism of her little brother and the murder of her boss, would testify about what she had witnessed. She described how her fiance was a completely different person after David's exorcism. He would go into these bizarre trances where he growled like an animal, exactly like he had done just before stabbing Alan to death. Ed Warren would chime in, claiming that during the exorcism, the demon had transferred itself into Ernie's body after he made the mistake of challenging it. The judge overseeing his trial certainly wasn't buying it, and he basically rejected the not guilty plea due to a lack of evidence. He just threw the plea out. He wasn't going to let him use it as a defense. Judge Robert Callahan said that it would be, quote, irrelevant and unscientific to allow testimony on the grounds of demonic possession. The jury was asked not to make any decisions based upon the possession, only to use the facts of the case, which was now dubbed the The Devil Made Me Do It case. After three days of deliberations, the jury would find Arnie Johnson not guilty of murder, but rather guilty of a lesser charge of manslaughter. He was sentenced to serve between 10 to 20 years for his crime, but he was released after serving just five years. Apparently, prison was good for him. Whatever demon he claimed had been possessing him appeared to have left his body now that he was behind bars. While in prison, he got his high school diploma, and then once he was released from prison in 1986, he married Debbie Glatzel, and the couple went on to have two children. The Warrens would go on to write a book with author Gerald Brittle about their experience with the Glatzel family and Arnie Johnson, called The Devil in Connecticut. It's unclear exactly how many copies they sold or how much they made. I assume it must be pretty decent. But they paid the Glatzels approximately $2,000 for their story. Not a ton. In 2017, David Glatzel, the little boy who had allegedly once been possessed but was now a grown man, he sued the Warrens along with his brother Carl. They claimed the book violated their privacy and caused, quote, intentional infliction of emotional distress. They refuted the claims made in that book, saying that it was all a complete lie and there was never a demonic possession to begin with. The brothers claimed that Ed and Lorraine Warren simply showed up to their family's door one day with the promise of making them millionaires. Carl Glatzel would say, quote, the Warrens concocted a phony story about demons in an attempt to get rich and famous at our expense. Arnie and Debbie claimed that David and Carl were actually the ones lying and that they launched this lawsuit because they were just looking for an easy payday. The couple has always claimed that the story of demonic possession is true. Although if you think about it, if they didn't stand behind this belief, then they would have to face up to the fact that Arnie is actually a murderer who killed a man in a very violent and public way. They would have to own that if they didn't just point to demonic possession. So now I turn the question over to you. Do you believe that David was possessed and that by taunting the demons, Arnie invited them to take over his body and soul? Or 
Do you think that this was all concocted to make a little money and then ultimately used to get out of a murder charge? Let me know what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. Did you know I also have a Serial Napper true crime discussion group? Because I do. It's called Serial Society and I'll have the link in my show notes. I would love to chat with you about all of the cases that I've covered and more. You can find my audio on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm also over on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Serial underscore Napper, or I post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. I also post all of my episodes in video format over on YouTube, so check it out. And if you're watching on YouTube, I would love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time, sweet dreams, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.